It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Sandra Smith. I'm Trey Gowdy. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, September 15th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. As Democrats celebrate legislative wins, including the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, Republicans are planning to use the current economic environment against them as midterms approach, even as polling shows other issues like abortion may motivate some voters. You know, the Democrats, this is the only thing they're running on because they can't run on, you know, the economy. They can't run on schools. There's nothing they can run on, so they're just talking about abortion. We speak to Florida Senator Rick Scott. I'm Chris Foster. Strokes have become more common for younger Americans. We have an obesity epidemic in the United States. Obesity itself isn't the issue. It's that obesity increases your risk of diabetes, which increases your risk of stroke. Obesity increases your risk of high blood pressure, which increases your risk of stroke. And I'm Andy Puster. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. This week, the president and Democrats celebrated the bill they call the Inflation Reduction Act at the White House, an event House Speaker Nancy Pelosi attended. The following day, she was still singing the more than $700 billion bill's praises. It lowers the deficit. It contributes to lowering inflation and does so by making the wealthiest and some corporate corporations who have avoided taxes to pay their fair share. Wednesday on Air Force One, White House spokeswoman Karine Jean-Pierre echoed her prior statements as well as those of others that the act reduces costs for things like drugs and should have an eventual impact on energy. So we understand there's more progress to be done. We're going to continue to uh, do that uh, do that work. Gas prices, as you've heard us tout, has gone down uh, more than 90 days at um, it's gone down by a dollar, dollar thirty per gallon, and that's the work because of the work that this president has done. West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin defended his part in getting the Inflation Reduction Act through to Fox News special report anchor Brett Baer, insisting his work on this specifically will help with inflation through energy prices. The more product we put, natural gas for home heating, for your utility bills, natural or gasoline at the pump. All this should reduce it. Isn't it disingenuous to call this the the Inflation Reduction Act if we're looking at a CPI that actually goes up? It's the only thing that we have ever done that has a chance to really fight inflation. Republicans had a different reaction. The president chastised them for not joining in on the Inflation Reduction Act. And the next day, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said that while Americans can't afford gas, groceries or electricity, Democrats partied on the White House lawn over the new act. Others noted the Dow tanked on the inflation data that was released the same day. I mean, we can get inflation under control if the Democrats would stop spending money. They don't know how to stop. This constant, it's, it's like every week up here, we've got some new spending program, and then you wonder why we get inflation. We get inflation because we're wasting money. Florida Republican Senator Rick Scott. Can you imagine doing a White House celebration on the day? Inflation comes out at 8.3%. Food prices are up 0.8 tenths of 1% in one month. I mean, this this makes you mad, and it's all because they don't know how to spend their money up here. They're wasting money, and it's hurting families like mine growing up. I watched my mom struggle with inflation when she's struggling to put food on the table and feed kids. And that's exactly what they're doing to people just like my mom. They're struggling to make ends meet, and the people in my state that are retiring are going back to work or taking a second job or re- delaying their retirement. This makes me mad, and the Biden administration and these Democrats do not care about Americans. What would the GOP do? What should be the Republican promise 
on inflation if it's not entirely in the Fed's hands at this in, in your mind? Balance the budget. I mean, it's not that hard. I did it. I walked in with a $4 billion budget deficit when I became governor. The state of Florida had not lived within its means in 40 years, kept borrowing money. We had a million homes in foreclosure. I balanced the budget every year, and I grew government way slower than our population growth. And I ultimately was able to pay off a third of state debt after cutting taxes and fees 100 times. It's not that hard. You've got to go make tough choices. These families are having to do it every day. That's going on across this country. It's happening across this country. People are making choices. Government's got to do the exact same thing. But these Democrats, they just want to spend money, and they waste it on projects like they give a tax break to rich people so they can buy electric cars. This is wrong. It's got to change. And Republicans are going to win in November, and then we're going to start governing the way you should govern, balance the budget. I want to talk more about that, but let's first talk about what some of your colleagues have been up to, because Senator Lindsey Graham, as you know, has proposed a national 15-week abortion ban, and there's been some reaction from his fellow Republicans. Senator Cornyn of Texas said, you know, this didn't come out of conference. He thinks this should be left to the states. Shelley Moore Capito out of West Virginia says she's not sure where he's going with this, but thinks that, you know, there's not an appetite for like a national platform. Did this kind of proposal catch Republicans, including you, off guard? Well, I'd not talked to uh, Senator Graham ahead of time. But it, look, you know, the Democrats, this is the only thing they're running on because they can't run on, you know, the economy. They can't run on schools. So they're just talking about abortion. So every candidate has talked about it and they've taken their positions. So I think the big issue is still going to be in November. It's going to be inflation. Why, you know, Democrats don't want parents involved in schools. Why are they teaching our kids critical race theory? Why do they want to defund the police now that with crime up? So that's going to still be the election. It's not going to be something else. What should Republicans do, if anything, in terms of talking about abortion between now and November? Because there is some polling data indicating that, you know, especially suburban women, as you know, it's a critical voting block, that they are motivated by this issue. Is it in your mind and in the minds of your colleagues like, look, this is done. This is back to the states and Republicans don't really feel the need to necessarily address this further. Well, first off, every candidate is taking their position. And, you know, we have 50 states. People's views are different. Uh, Republican views are different. You know, we're, we're a big party. What we should also be talking about is what we believe and the fact that Democrats are radical. They have all voted. Every one of them voted to say the moment before birth, you can abort a child. That's crazy. And that if you're a pro-life healthcare worker, by government, you're mandated to do an abortion. That's what we ought to be talking about. The Democrats are radical on this abortion issue. Republicans are compassionate, and we need to be compassionate. It's a very tough issue for people. Let's talk about you for a minute. The president and members of this administration like to call you out by name a lot lately over that plan you introduced. Um, it was you know, introduced long before this commitment to America that the GOP is rolling out shortly. But you got some pushback on some notions that you have since addressed, like the idea of sunsetting laws every five years uh, insofar as it would impact Medicare and Social Security. Where are you now on those kinds of entitlement programs? Well, Joe Biden, I mean, this bothers him so much that a Republican would have a plan. I, I hope everybody goes to rescueamerica.com and give me your comments. We're going to win in November. Then we have to govern. Uh, so I believe in plans. I'm a business guy. And look, I'm clear. If you're able-bodied, you should go back to work. Unless you have young kids, 
I mean, this is this should not be a society where some people get to work, some people don't work. This is you're able-bodied. You want to be on a government program. If you want to be on Medicaid, if you want to be on any of these programs, public housing. I lived in public housing. Go to work. On top of that, I think we've got to make sure people get the benefits of Social Security and Medicare. Here's what the Democrats want to do. Oh, don't talk about it. But you know what? Medicare goes bankrupt in four years. Social Security goes bankrupt in 12 years. Why don't we make sure that people get their benefits? So talk to me then a little bit more because I'm I'm not going to reveal my age. I'm middle-aged, if you will. Um, but, I mean, do I need to plan for those programs not to exist? Do I need to save extra money? If they're going bankrupt in four to 12 years, what do I do when I'm in my 70s or 80s and in, in, well, you know, 40 is, years? <laughs> so you get your benefits. I'm asking everybody for their, all their ideas. I think Congress ought to once a year. Here's what I put in my plan. Once a year, Congress should tell the American people how they're going to make sure Medicare is preserved, how they're going to make sure Social Security is preserved. So I'm asking everybody, give me your ideas how we can do this. We have to preserve these programs. When, by the way, the postal bill that the Democrats passed this year, that bill hurt Medicare. The $280 billion out of Medicare. How can Democrats act like they care about Medicare when they're sitting there doing programs that cut Medicare and make it less viable? That's wrong. Talk to me about um, midterms. You pushed back after Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said if the GOP doesn't win uh, control of the Senate, there may have been a candidate quality issue. You reacted pretty firmly. Why did you feel so defensive about his comment? Well, look, I'm clear. We have great candidates. I mean, just go through them. J.D. Vance, they did a movie about the guy. I mean, he understands the problem of drug addiction. Look at Dr. Oz. Here's a guy, world-renowned physician, a surgeon. Uh, you've got state attorneys um, that are running. I mean, look at the quality of the people we have. A tech entrepreneur down in Alabama. We've got a construction a guy who built a very successful construction company in Colorado. We've got a nurse that brought her husband back to health after his blinded in, in Iraq. These are great candidates, and I'm going to do everything I can, and I believe we're going to get a majority. Uh, tell me, I know there have been some reports regarding NRSC funding. You are the chair. There are some reports criticizing the approach, too much focus of, you know, online, not enough for uh, money for mailers. Did you have to spend a lot more in the primary cycle than in prior years? Like, do you have those numbers? Have you made those comparisons? I told everybody when I took this job, here I was going to do. I was going to define the Democrats early and do everything to support our candidates after they got out of the primary. And I was going to build our additional operation. So here's what we did. We defined the Democrats. Guess what? Every Democrat that we're targeting is under 50 percent and favorable, and Biden's under 40 percent in that state. That puts us in a good position. But also tell people who the living daylight sees Republicans are that nobody knew who they are. Or like Dr. Oz went through a tough primary. We've tripled the size of our files uh, for digital. Uh, we've done really well continuing to build our direct mail. So we did exactly what we said. And guess what? We can win. I mean, Herschel Walker's already up in the last polls three points against Warfare Warnock. Warfare Warnock, as we've defined him, he's no different than Chuck Schumer. Warren got him moved to New York and run in New York, not in Georgia. We, you know, look at Bud, he's up three. Look at Oz, he's cut the lead of Fetterman in half. So we, we continue to raise our money. Our candidates continue to do their job. We are going to have a great November, and I'm going to bust my butt until then to make sure we win. Finally, you and your, some of your colleagues wrote an op-ed calling for a clean continuing resolution, a, a, essentially a government funding plan that doesn't increase any spending between now and when a new Congress um, takes over in 2023. Uh, in this op-ed, you call out Democrats' insistence on tying approval of spending to other things like 
um, COVID money or um, some legislation relating to permitting oil and gas drilling. I suppose that's my long way of asking, are we looking at, yet again, more talk of a government shutdown, this time just before midterms? So what I've said is, look, you don't want to do your job. Don't go put in a whole bunch of wasteful spending. You've done a lot of that already. Just keep the government running, and then we're going to have election in November. We'll go through, and we'll do the budget as soon as we get back with a new Congress, because the Democrats have clearly failed us. And so I hope they don't shut down government, because it's 100% in their control to shut down government or not. Do we need more COVID money? How much more COVID money do we need? I keep hearing about how we're transitioning to uh, the private sector now, that that health insurance companies, this is no longer going to be government funded anyway. So if we're transitioning anyway, and that's the plan, how much COVID money do we need? If there's something we need, they should come and explain it to us. Here's what they do up here. They don't explain anything to you. They'll give you a bill and expect you to to vote on a trillion dollar bill a few hours later. This is wrong. This is not the way to govern. This is why we have 8.3% inflation. This is why the American public is fed up with Congress wasting their money. This is money that we are going to have to go borrow at high interest rates. I don't get what the Democrats' plan is. They have no plan just to spend money. Senator Rick Scott, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Thanks, Jessica. Have a great day. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This is Andy Puzder with your Fox News commentary. Coming up. The Democrat Senate candidate in Pennsylvania, State Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, is recovering from a stroke he had in May. He's held a few campaign appearances in the last few weeks, stumbling, speaking in Pittsburgh last month about creating good-paying jobs. What is wrong with demanding for an easy, safe kind of their income, a path to a safe place for them to win, or excuse me, to to work? Tulsa TV anchor Julie Chin suffered through the start of a stroke during a live broadcast on 2 News Oklahoma September 3rd. The Tulsa Air and Space Museum is hosting a launch uh, today at the at the at the event. Um, the event features uh, live. Uh, I'm sorry, something is going on with me this morning. Her coworkers called 911. She says she'll be okay. Stroke warning signs include communication issues, trouble walking or seeing, headache, numbness, or partial paralysis. Strokes are two things: they're either bleeds in the brain or they're clots in the brain. Uh, narrowing of vessels or even an emboli from the heart where so, where something breaks off and goes to the brain. Dr. Mark Siegel with New York University Langone Medical Center is a Fox News medical contributor. The bottom line is that it's, it's destruction of brain tissue, uh, cerebrovascular accident because of either bleeding or, again, shutting off of vessels. Okay, so, yeah, so stroke is sort of a catch-all term for a, a variety of a few things, right? Right. And, and the two things that I mentioned, though, are number one and two. A bleed in the brain is number two, and a, and a, a so-called dry stroke would be number one, either doing, due to a local shutting off, like clotting, or, or a distant one that, that goes to the brain. Those are one and two. How much of it is bad luck? How much of it's genetics? How much of it is behavior or environment? None of it is bad luck. Some of it is genetics, genetic predispositions. And most of it is 
lifestyle things that we're all doing to ourselves. And the reason that you're seeing an increase of strokes in young people is because young people are more sedentary than they used to be. Young people uh, are gaining more weight than they used to. We have an obesity epidemic in the United States. Obesity itself isn't the issue. It's that obesity increases your risk of diabetes, which increases your risk of stroke. Obesity increases your risk of high blood pressure, which increases your risk of stroke. So it's the secondary factors by sedentary, overweight, poor eating that I'm concerned about. Those are lifestyle issues, and they're affecting our young more and more. Also, the use of drugs, especially things that constrict blood vessels, like cocaine, leads to an increase of stroke. Uh, Not that every young person who's had a stroke is on coke, but there, there is an increase in strokes in younger people now, right? There is a definite increase of, of strokes in young people compared to previous. Um, and I've, I've mentioned the main reasons that I think that that's true. Is this another thing that we've talked about where it's hard to quantify, but another thing that we can blame at least a little bit on the COVID pandemic that increased uh, maybe some sedentary lifestyles? I think the COVID pandemic played a major role in this. Uh, I think it increased sedentary lifestyle. I think it increased weight. There's been tremendous weight gain during the pandemic. I think it increased substance abuse. Let's talk about John Fetterman for a minute, Pennsylvania Senate candidate, um, recovering from a stroke that he had in May, I believe it was. Um, Is there a general, I know you're not his doctor, and a lot of this is just based on what you've heard and observed and and past experience. Is there a general timeline of recovery, first of all, for for what he's going through? You're talking about Fetterman. Yeah. Well, Fetterman, uh, I, you know, First of all, he has underlying heart disease, and he has underlying dilated heart, and he has an underlying uh, irregular rhythm. And then on top of that, he has this stroke. And what we what we really need to see, believe it or not, is exactly the uh, neurological assessment that he had with the stroke, because it's what for sure he seems to have some expressive problems. But in terms of cognitive issues, I want that assessed too. I'd like to know what his neurocognitive tests show. I want to know exactly, because it's not absolutely directly correlating. You can have trouble speaking, but not have trouble thinking. I'm much more interested in whether he's having trouble thinking and putting thoughts together into what we call executive function, because that's hugely important to somebody that that would be a senator. We need full disclosure. We need to see the imaging studies. We need to see how much damage was done. I know there were attempts made to reverse the stroke. I want to know what, what damage was done. Yeah, I mean, you can you could be a, a, a deaf senator and 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 maybe have some, uh, you know, communication limitations. If that's what he's dealing with, that's different than if he than his his brain isn't working as quickly as maybe it used to. Um, when he talks about having auditory problems, does he mean? Do you think um, deafness or or comprehension? I don't know what he means by that. I I would like that cl- clarified. Auditory processing worries me because the word processing is not the same as hearing. So in other words, that means you can hear it, but you don't understand the significance of what you're hearing. That processing issue starts to abut on cognitive function. And trying to find words and not being able to find them makes us think of aphasia, where that ability could interfere with decision-making and executive function. It's all about, can somebody perform up to the level that you're expecting? Uh, and if they, they're not, I, I'm one who believes, and I have said this since 2008, that the public has a right to know about presidential fitness or fitness for any op- high office, such as senator. What, what is the medical uh, condition of the candidate? Because 
we get to vote based on that knowledge. I think full disclosure is really important here for Fetterman or for anyone that would be running for a higher office. In a situation like his, generally, uh, can recovery take weeks, months, years, never, or is it, we don't, or it, it, who knows? Well, first of all, it, as I outlined already, it depends on wh- whether it's a dry stroke or a hemorrhagic stroke. Hemorrhagic stroke, much less likely. That recovers better, by the way, because it's blood bathing the brain. It covers better than if brain is damaged from lack of oxygen, essentially strangulated brain. Uh, I believe he had the more common type. Recovery depends on if you get the clot out, you might see a miraculous recovery within 24 hours. If there's damaged brain as a result of a stroke, then rehab can take months and you may never fully recover. Um, Doctor, there's a a news anchor in Tulsa recently um, who had a stroke on air and sometimes people do trip over words. What's a verbal stumble versus what she went through? What happened in her brain? Okay, so anyway, to set the scene on this a little more, uh, ischemic stroke, which I talked about, which is where the brain is not getting enough oxygen because of either a clot or a narrowing of a vessel, that's 87% of strokes. Hemorrhagic strokes, the bleeding, are 13%. We're seeing 10 to 15% of strokes now occurring in people 18 to 50. That's according to the journal Stroke. That's a tremendous increase. So you say, what do you want to look out for? And a stumble is not uh, significant in terms of me worrying that a stroke is happening. Somebody that's on the air is under a lot of pressure. And for them to have a cognitive slip, maybe they didn't sleep properly. Maybe they were distracted. Maybe they're nervous, Uh, although news anchors are pretty used to this. But when you start to worry is if you start to see weakness on one side of the body, a facial droop. That's very, very significant or a prolonged problem with finding words, not just a freeze, a momentary freeze, but a prolonged problem with finding words. That might be something what we would call a TIA, which is a transient ischemic attack. And by definition, if that continues more than 24 hours, that's automatically a stroke. We have something called watershed strokes or lacuna strokes where they're small, where they occur almost too small to be detected by a casual observer or even a, even an internist, but some, something where the, the deficits are very minor versus a major stroke where you can see it dramatically occurring where someone suddenly can't move their leg or they can't move their arm or they can't process words or they have a facial droop. Those are larger strokes. So there's more subtle findings. The workup is pretty standard in all cases. I think the, the classic workup for stroke these days is an MRI, MRA. What is an MRA that looks at the vessels that I talked about that could be clotting off, that could be closing down? Uh, those, that's the MRA. That's an MRI with an angiogram attached to it, which looks at the vessels. The MRI looks at the brain itself, the brain tissue itself. Is it going through changes? Is there some sign? You can see color changes. You can see differences in parts of the brain that, that might be undergoing a stroke. And a good neurologist can piece that together with the vessel that, that's in question, the vessel in jeopardy. I'll tell you the most exciting thing of all, which is that we now have the ability to go in there and suck out the clot, to put a catheter in. It's called an endovascular approach, to go in there and suck out the clot. And that, that is generally perceived to have to occur within a window of about three to four hours, but that's actually even being extended. I believe that that's what uh, what Fetterman underwent, which is why I don't know 
what his residual damage is. Very, very important for the public to know that. Uh, you mentioned high blood pressure is a major risk factor here, and that that's a, a, a big factor in the young in young people having an increasing amount of strokes. What do you what What do you do? I guess the obvious things are just better diet, right? Um, there's medication you can take. The one that I didn't mention, I mentioned diabetes, I mentioned uh, high blood pressure, I mentioned heart disease. I didn't mention cholesterol. Cholesterol is a big part of this too. And I, and I work very hard to get the cholesterol levels down on my patients. I'm much more aggressive in terms of treating them than I used to be. And, you know, we also uh, tend to lump it all together, cardiovascular disease and stroke into one category of a vascular event. And that's a very important way to approach it because the treatments are pretty much the same. Get the pressure down, get the weight down, get the, the, the blood flowing, get the heart rate and the blood pressure flowing, and uh, you know, get the sugar under control if there's a sugar issue, and get the cholesterol down. If, if somebody uh, has a TIA or a risk of stroke, we're going to have them on, most likely going to have them on a, on a uh, cholesterol-lowering statin drug. Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News medical contributor, a professor of medicine at NYU Langone Medical Center. Dr. Siegel, um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Great to have me on with you, Chris. Thanks a lot. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Andy Puzder. What's on your mind? It doesn't happen often, but about a week ago, there was a tweet that made my day. Jeff Bezos, one of the richest men in the world, posted a picture of himself finishing a Big Mac and fries with the caption, my first job, and still the same great burger, happy Sunday. That's right. The man who founded Amazon and created the most incredible distribution system in human history got his start with a minimum wage job at McDonald's. In three short sentences, it was a tweet about so many things that make America exceptional. It was about opportunity and a path from the working class to, well, anywhere your ambition may take you. It said something very positive about American business. McDonald's, a small restaurant started by two brothers in Riverside, California, became a worldwide icon. The success of that venture created opportunity for millions of individuals who got their start at a quick service restaurant. Mr. Bezos being but one shining example. Personally, while not nearly as successful as Mr. Bezos, I got my minimum wage job start at a Baskin and Robbins in Sherman Falls, Ohio, and went on to live the American dream. Perhaps that's why I found the Bezos tweet so uplifting. Unfortunately, it took the progressive geniuses running the state of California literally a day to bring that optimism crashing down. Literally on the following day, California lawmakers passed legislation titled Fast Food Accountability and Standards Recovery Act, or FAST raising the state's minimum wage from an already generous $15 an hour to $22 for quick service restaurant employees. The irony is that this legislation would hurt the very people it's being sold as protecting. Most workers make more than their state minimum wage, and those who do earn it are likely to be low-skilled, entry-level teenagers or young adults working part-time. Nationally, restaurant workers' hourly wages average about $18.50 an hour likely higher in California with its minimum wage already at $15. 
So what are the risks of further increasing it? Restaurants are already battling to recover from California's severe pandemic lockdowns while keeping prices down in the face of inflation that is simultaneously driving labor and commodity costs to unprecedented highs. If you add additional labor costs on top of these already crippling cost increases, few new restaurants are likely to open and many are likely to close. Restaurants that do stay open will need to find ways to cut labor, with automation being a key component, including ordering kiosks and machines that actually make burgers without the human touch. Sadly for young Californians, that's opportunity lost and never to be recovered. How about those delicious and affordable burgers and fries? Well, they too will be a thing of the past, as the few surviving restaurants will dramatically increase prices to offset ever-increasing labor costs. Mr. Bezos will still be able to afford his Big Mac and me, my Carl's Jr. Western Bacon Cheeseburger, but for many Californians, those items will no longer be affordable. These results are far from difficult to predict. Now, it's really not rocket science. Let's hope California's governor, Gavin Newsom, who once owned a restaurant or two, will see the dangers of this fast legislation and decline to sign it. I'm Andy Puzder, former CEO of CKE Restaurants. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.